Okay. Tonight's uh, Garden of Muna class is titled Emuna, Liberty of the Brain. You saw the uh, Facebook invite, had a bunch of questions there. Is Emuna opium of the masses? Is Emuna deadening the brain? Is it contrary to the brain? So we really need to understand this question. What does it mean that Amuna is liberty of the brain? There is an amazing teaching in Chassidus that says, where the brain ends, the heart begins. And that refers to Amuna as well. You understand as much as you can, and then faith begins. So we need to understand what does faith do to the human mind? Does it, does it deaden the human mind? Does it tell the human mind, sha, 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 you're not going to understand anyway, you're just going to mess things up. This is a Muna. And if someone asks you a question, do we give him the, oh, the whole riot act? <coughs> Apicurus, atheist, how can you ask questions? It says, it is, and that. How can you not believe? So we need to understand the relationship between a Muna and intellect. Faith and intellect, and we can at a certain level say the heart and the mind. With this being the case, I'd like to give you two introductions to tonight's class, which will set the foundation to what we're going to explore tonight. Number one, in Kabbalah, it is explained that everything has a Rosh, Toch, and Sof. That is why you find many times we use in the numbers of three. There are five main Sfirot. The sixth and the seventh is the reproductive organs. It's the male and the female transmission. But the actual emotions are Chesed, Gvura, Tveras, Netzach, Hoyt, Soid. I'm sorry, Netzach, Tveras, try again. Chesed, Gvura, Tveras, Netzach, Hoyt. And that's why we refer to them as 15. Because every one of those is made up of three components. Rosh, Toch, Saf. Head, center, and end. Now what that means to us is that the head of any specific concept, we're talking here about Sfirot for example, the head, the job of the head, please listen to this, it's a very strong foundation for what we're going to explore. The head is job is to allow it to connect to that which is higher than it. The head's job is to receive from above and to bring it in. Toch is the actual dimension of that sphera. Sof is the part which is reproduction. It's what needs to give over to the next level. So you have the Rosh, the Toch, and the Sof. We're going to explore later that what that means in the human being is that actually in the teachings of Hasidus we are taught that the definition of a human is not intellect, it's emotion. That is why if you go to any class in sales, any salesman class will tell you that if there is no emotion involved, there will be no closure. If you intellectually explain someone why they should make this purchase, they will not make that purchase. 
if you don't give that sweet closing of, well, I can't promise you it's going to be here next week. This deal is only good for right now. What you're actually doing is you're kicking in emotions. Real estate agents, they show you a house, and they always do the sweet thing of asking you, so if this was your house, what would you put in this living room? They're doing what they know they have to do. Engage emotional, or you will not make the sale. So the strong drive of intellectual human beings is emotions. You always got to play into the emotions. Because the actual identity of the human more than anything, is his or her emotions. The intellects hopefully will be drawing in what emotions you should have, what emotions you shouldn't have, how you should have the emotions, where they should begin, where they should end. So there's the rush, which will be what we call Chabad. I don't mean Chabad as in Chabad Lubavitch. I mean Chabad as in why Chabad is called Chabad. An acronym of Chachma Bin Adas. The intellects, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Then there is the toch, which is the actual experience of the concept. It's emotional experience. And then there's the sof, which will be in the human being. That would be the garments of thought, speech, and action, known as, so what are you going to do about this? So we're defining the word rush in this introduction. As the job of the rush is to allow you to absorb, connect to that which is above you. Leave that there for a moment. Introduction number two. What is the difference between a human and an animal? And we're taught by our sages, built upon verses, that the human spirit is always upbound, the animal spirit is always downbound. That actually makes a difference in the laws of Shabbat. We discuss about whether you're allowed to carry a human child and whether you're allowed to carry an animal. I'm not telling you, no, you cannot carry a human child. But there is this thought process in Halacha that because the human being is always carrying itself, you're not carrying it. Unless the baby is, you know when a baby is pulling down, you feel it. Otherwise, the human actually by itself is carrying upwards. The animal is always pulling downwards. The spirit of the human is to always go up. The spirit of the animal is to always go down. Simply speaking, the animal's experience of life is basically food reproduce. The animal's life has very simple concepts. Eat, don't be eaten, make babies. Which means that the animal's spirit is down. It's always live on. With that being understood, we need to go further now. I wanted to just lay down those two introductions. It's going to play a strong part of what we're going to talk about. So one, the job of the head is to connect and absorb to that which is above and beyond you. The difference in the human and the animal is, the human's always looking to climb up, the animal is down. Now let's go further. The heart and the brain 
are two gifts of God through which He's allowed us to connect with Him. In our search for a relationship with God, the two tools to understand that which is beyond us is the brain and the heart. There is feelings for God, love, there is fear, and there is faith. Those three emotions, I'm going to call faith an emotion now, not because it's an emotion, but it is a gift of the heart. We'll talk a different time about the difference between the exterior of the heart and the interior of the heart. The interior of the heart is beyond just love and fear. Faith is actually, if I would ask of you, where do you have faith? Most people would touch their chest and not their head. Faith is in the heart. Understanding, intellect, is in the mind. And those are the two gifts with which we can connect with God. The finite being, in his yearning to go up, connect with the infinite, will use these two tools. The mind and the heart. I did tell you before, where the mind ends, the heart begins. I will also tell you that I've seen an amazing teaching from the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, where the Rebbe talks about that that line between understanding and faith, that line between where the brain ends and the heart begins, must continuously be moving. As you grow older, as you understand more, based on yesterday's learning, today we go further. So what yesterday I could only believe, today I understand. Yesterday's faith is today's understanding, which then allows me to take faith to a higher level. That line must continuously move. The mind and the heart. Two tools which allows the human being to connect to outside of itself, above and beyond. Being again that the spirit of the man is always looking upwards. Parenthetically speaking. What that's telling me is that the human being's understanding of how to eat and how to reproduce is not the true experience of a human being fulfilling his or her capacity. That's the animal side of the human being. The animal side of the human being is looking at how to make money, buy food, create power, glory, reproduce, so forth and so on. It's pulling downwards into a physical continuance. The spiritual side of the human being, in this conversation, the human of the human being versus the animal of the human being, the human of the human being has a whole different protocol. It has a whole different yearning. It's not thinking how to make food. It's not thinking how to eat and how to reproduce. It's actually going upwards. It's actually thinking of more important than anything is for me to get deeper and deeper and deeper into my understanding, into my connection with God. This is the ultimate yearning of the righteous human being. 
to quote Maimonides. Maimonides clearly says that the righteous people, they desired for Mashiach for only one thing. For the liberty of the brain. That the brain should be able from here on to have a far superior, unprecedented understanding, relationship of God. So the definition of the mind is not so much to understand how to manipulate science, create comfort and longevity in the physical sense, which in itself is important. The verse clearly tells us we must take care of our health. We must come up with these things. The Torah clearly tells us, Rapa Yerapa, the doctor must heal. We must study science. We must continue this. But in the ultimate experience of the human mind, where it acts as a human and not as an animal. Because remember, the animal also has limited intellect. And when I say limited intellect, it can only understand that which is beneath it. The animal cannot ponder beyond its physical necessities. The animal has amazing intellect of how to hunt, how to survive. But you cannot teach an animal to meditate, yoga, spirituality, ponder upon art. They don't have that. Their approach to everything is the Ruach HaBehema Yoredet Lamata. It's going downwards. How can I come up with an easier way to create my meal? How can I get to the food that I can't get to? How can I protect myself from the animals that want to eat me? How can I be the one that will get this female so that I can reproduce? Huge amount of intellect. But this intellect by definition is inferior because it's all about down rather than up. You will not have an animal lecture on getting out of the box. <laughs> let's get together all the cats and let's discuss how do we get out of our box. It just doesn't happen. It's not within their makeup. But what happens here is that the human, by definition, is always searching for that. And the more intellectual the human, the more refined the human, the more he's going upwards. So now understand that the human's struggle, the absence or opposite of liberty, is when the human mind is stuck within a certain box. The imprisonment of the intellect, the human intellect, is when it's stuck, only being able to think in the tangible. Liberty of the human mind is where it's allowed to also experience the abstract. Extrapolation. Not of the physical sense just, but from understanding itself to understanding what must exist above and beyond itself. To be able to live a life based on finer, absolute principles. Knowing that it in itself is a creature of relativity. And yet being able to touch the absolute is amazing. When King Solomon bemoans that everything is hevel havalim, everything is waste, naught, everything is relative, we pursue relativity, so we have no true infinite existence. 
We have no true infinity. We don't live on forever. And then to be able to understand that that's not true, that's just the outer shell of us. But within us lies the capacity to connect to eternalism. We don't need to be stuck with Hevel Havalim. We don't need to be stuck just in relativity. The human mind can connect us to the absolute. That would be a huge concept of liberty of the brain. Take it to the next step. When we talk about the brain and the heart being the two tools to connect to God, we do need to understand that we've spoken many a times in this forum about the circle and the line. The circular light, infinity, no beginning, no end, and the linear, the top and the bottom. I've spoken to you about the divinity, the light, which permeates on that note. If it's an 8-ounce cup, how much water can permeate that cup? 8 ounces. In the linear, there's a beginning and an end. Everything is finite. Everything has a capacity. In the circular, everything is infinity. A drop of infinity is infinity. Because it's a drop of infinity. You grab the piece of infinity. A piece of infinity is what? Infinity. So the circular is very different than the linear. Please appreciate for the moment that the human mind is a tool to connect to the linear light of God. Only faith can connect with the circular light of God. So when we study science as believers, knowing that this is the creation of God, and when you study science, to quote what our sages say, you cannot know the strength of a person until you see how much weight he can lift. To know the strength of a person, you don't measure his biceps. You see how much he can bench. So studying the strength of a person is only by weighing the rock he can lift. So when we study science, we're knowing God. Because we don't know the power of God until we study what He's created. When we study that approach, we're studying the linear. When we're studying the part that has a definition, a beginning, an end, something we can give a beautiful lecture on, something we can make tangible, something we can digest, then we're talking about the linear. For that, you need to use the brain. But when you want to connect with that which is circular, that which denies what you know to be as right and wrong, that which is out of the box of your capacity of intellect, for a moment, I'm going to bring up dreams. Dreams is a very tricky thing. Dream carries a message, and yet so many times you don't understand it. Because the subconscious mind doesn't line it up the way the conscious mind would line it up. And therefore, when you think about something consciously, everything is in order. The sentences make sense. The letters are written correctly. 
the concept is expressed correctly, grammatically, contextually. When you have a dream, so we're not even talking yet about faith, we're just talking about loosening the grip of the conscious capacity of finite right and wrong orderliness. And all of a sudden we wake up completely confused. Pharaoh calls for all his advisors. What is going on here? How do fat cows swallow skinny cows and not gain weight? The logic mind doesn't understand that. The Talmud tells a story of a sage who had an elephant walk through in his dream. He saw an elephant walk through the eye of a needle. And if I were to ask of you now to imagine that, you are unquestionably going to do one of two things. Shrink in your mind the elephant or enlarge in the eye of the needle. And when I'm telling you no, the Gemara says he dreamt that an elephant, the size of an elephant, walks through the eye of a needle, the size of an eye of a needle, your conscious mind is screaming bloody murder. I can't even begin to think what he saw. I'm going to use this as an example. Just an example. For those of you who dabble with art, there is a great book out there by Betty Something called Drawing with the Right Side of Your Brain. Something very interesting. If you're trying to draw a table, you have a problem. Because the left side of your brain, which is analytical, knows without a shadow of a doubt that the legs of that table are all equal in size. Yet, have you ever tried to draw a table with legs that are equal? It looks weird. And the answer, of course, from an art perspective is to create depth and distance, you have to create angles and shorten the back legs. But the left brain is screaming at you, don't do that, don't do that, it's wrong. All those legs are equal, why do you make those shorter? In the right side, that book called The Right Side, A Drawing with the Right Side of the Brain, she actually gives you very interesting advice. And you know what advice is all about? How to shut down the left side of your brain. Two pieces of advice that she gives there in the book is that when you draw something, turn it over. Because it confuses the left side of the brain. The analytics is shutting down. Another thing she says over there is, never draw the positive, always draw the negative. Don't draw the legs, draw the holes in between the legs, and automatically you'll have the legs. By the way, just because I'm in the mood, you probably all once read this quick joke, where you have to read a paragraph and count how many F's there are in the paragraph. You usually will miss three of them, because three times in the paragraph it says the word of. The word of, your brain, your brain translated as a V, not an F. And even after you find out that you're wrong, you still won't get it. And what they tell you is, read it backwards. You see, because the left side of the brain, which isn't the house for faith, it's Bina, analytical, tangible, details, practical, doesn't appreciate this. It doesn't get it. It doesn't connect to it. Its logic tells it that it's wrong. But the logic is faulty. Because if you do draw the legs the same size, you messed up the drawing of the table. The right side of the brain doesn't have that problem. So all of a sudden, the logic, the right logic, 
is going to lead you into the wrong conclusion. The right logic is draw all those four legs the same. I'm just using this as an example. So sometimes what you need to do is, you need to realize that the brain isn't free because it's stuck in its definition of relative intellect and reality. By the way, just going to throw this in for extra credit. Have you noticed the story with Hugger that we just read in the Torah portion? When there was no water? And Yishmael was dying out of thirst? And God says, don't worry, I heard the prayers of the child. Did you really realize what the verse says there? It doesn't say God created water. Did you notice the verse says, and God opened her eyes and she saw water? Very interesting, by the way. Not going to get into that right now. But it's interesting. It's interesting how the mind... The mind denies you sometimes the right to see reality. Because that's a reality that's out of our box. So intellect sometimes isn't liberty. It's actually slavery. It's not allowing you to see any reality that defies your definition of relativity of reality. Let me say it better. Your definition of reality as through the eyes of relativity. So actually, even your brain sometimes tells you, you probably want me to shut up now. Because this is a reality that my brain will not be able to digest. At least, not yet. We're soon going to talk about the Naaseh Venishma factor. What faith does for intellect. Remember what I told you before. Yesterday's faith, today's intellect. Otherwise, you're not a growing human being. I want to stop for a moment and I want to talk about the weakness of faith. The weakness of faith is the Talmud says that the Jewish thief, as he's stealing, prays to God, he shouldn't get caught. Which obviously is an hysterical oxymoron. If you believe in God, don't steal. And if you don't believe in God, why are you praying to God? But he believes in God. And he's stealing. And he's praying to God, please don't let me get caught. The reason is because the circular doesn't fit into the linear. And therefore, my faith does not at all dictate my action. You ask most Jews who eat on Yom Kippur, a pork sandwich, and yada, 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 if they believe in God, and they'll say, of course I believe in God. But I don't get it. If you believe in God, because faith is circular. By definition, faith is encompassing. And encompassing powers cannot affect your behavior. Have you ever sat down with someone who wants advice from you? Why is this wrong? Why is it going wrong? 
and you sit down and you discuss it and they understand it and they agree with it and the next second what do they do? I just uh, spoke about the other because it's less embarrassing if I tell you I'm that way. Huh. We're all that way. We read books. It makes sense. This has got to be the right way. We're going to do it. And kaboom. Faith. Faith is too big for it to change the way I behave. Faith is abstract. Faith encompasses me. Faith is such a powerful, infinite, circular light all around me. But if I can't digest it, if I can't internalize it, it's not mine. Remember that famous cartoon? Keep on trying to catch the moon. And every time they catch it, it pops on top, right? The reflection of the moon. This is this cartoon where they're trying to catch the moon in the water. So they cover it. And of course the reflections on top of the pot and on top and on top and on top. That's what faith is. It's there. It's beautiful. I want to grab it. But every time I try to grab it, it's elusive. Because that's the definition of circular. Circular doesn't mean it's not inside of me. It means wherever it is, it is elusive to me. I can't grab it. I can't really grab it. I understand. I have a brain. I dive in. I learn. I, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I can't grab it. It's elusive. It's circular by definition. And that's why the thief is an absolute believer. And he's even davening to God that he shouldn't get caught while he's stealing. So, in essence, the brain's got a problem. The brain is limited in its power of intellect because it is a product and a creation of relativity. And relativity doesn't absorb absolute. It's finite. It's evolving. While the circular emunah is infinite. The circular emunah is absolute. And even though I have emunah, but at this stage, my emunah is like an amazing million dollars locked in a vault that I don't have the key to. So my house is in foreclosure, but I'm a millionaire. I'm praying to God, but I'm stealing. So understand that a munah and intellect have better learn to get along and do it quick. Because the intellect without the munah is going to make you draw a table with four equal sized legs that's going to look lopsided. You're going to be stuck in your box of relative, tangible, finite intellect that sometimes must lead you to the long, wrong conclusion, even though all the facts are true. The circular munah is going to make you feel all warm and fuzzy, but it's still not going to help you break the habit. So, what do we do? And tonight's class was called, is called, Emunah, Liberty of the Brain. Because if the job of the brain is to absorb beyond my capacity, remember the opening introduction? The human mind can
cannot consider itself accomplished if all it knows how to do is eat, not be eaten, make babies. The human being needs to learn how to live heavenly days on earth. It needs to learn how to have its head in the infinite, in the circular, in the abstract, in the absolute, while its feet are right here on the physical ground, knowing how to earn a living, knowing how to live a physical life, knowing how to make it happen. In the world of relativity, finite, tangible. And this is where the importance of the Mount Sinai revelation is, is amazing. It's here. It's powerful. We told God, We will do and we will hear. We will do before we will hear is an absolute act of faith. It's where we're telling God that your reality is not subject to my perception. So there was once a museum with priceless, priceless art. And all of a sudden there's a commotion. Two people are arguing in the museum. Comes the curator running and says, guys, 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 this is a museum here. What's going on? So one of them turns around to the curator and says, would you believe that this nobody of a nobody is telling me that he doesn't understand what is so priceless about this painting. He tells me that his kid actually draws more realistic paintings than this one. And the curator turned around to that guy and said, Sir, the paintings that make it to the walls of our museum are not here for your validation. They're actually here to see if you can appreciate finer art. Let's go over that line. The walls that make it, the, the paintings that make it to the walls of this museum are not here for your validation. They're here to see if you can appreciate finer art. The absolute God, the Torah, Jewish tradition. They're not here contrary to our belief. They're not here for our validation. Oh, this, this Pasuk I agree with. No, this Pasuk is good. This Pasuk, it's really, it is so politically incorrect. I can't believe it's still here. We've been long out of the age of the who knows what. This Gemara is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I hope you don't take this literally. There's got to be a deeper abstract shot here. We keep on doing that. Because our brains are not free. We cannot think out of the box. Those four legs of that table are all the same size. So any Gemara that's going to tell you that the back legs need to be made shorter is just one of those Jewish things. I, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those medrashes. You know, what do we do with that? It's, it's, I'm sure it has a deeper meaning. So we approach the Torah with the understanding that what's being given to us on Mount Sinai is not here subject to our validation. 
Woe to the infinite circle that needs to be validated by the finite relativity. So the approach is na'ase vinishma. Because in order to learn the absolute, in order to be able to think outside of the little box, in order to stop thinking that the world begins and ends with where my barn begins and my barn ends, and in order to stop thinking that the entire universe circles around what time of the day I get my hay, We need to have an opening, a liberation of the mind. To be able to tell the mind, you need to go in sleep mode. Because in dreams, you're not so stuck. By the way, that is exactly why, as you all know, till this very day, the first night of Shavuos, we don't sleep. Because the Jewish people overslept by Mount Sinai. And the obvious question is, they're counting 49 days, they all went to bed polished up and ready to go, and they all overslept? The collective alarm clock went wrong? The answer is no. They understood that in order to receive the absolute light of Torah, it's much better if I'm sleeping. Because in dreams, I'm not so stuck in that finite, tangible laws of relativity that doesn't allow me to reach up out of my box and accept an absolute truth that maybe doesn't fit into my world of relativity. They didn't oversleep. They purposely went to sleep. Okay guys, it's happening now. Fall asleep. So what has to happen here is that we need to be able to totally take a quantum leap from the mind that understands the laws of relativity, how to make money, how to mate, how to make food, how to get power. We need to take a quantum leap from that animal brain into the liberty of the human brain that's open to perceive something which its prior understanding says that can't be true. Loosening the shackles of the brain. Emunah does that. When you go to a Hasidic yeshiva, and you will always hear these words as they begin to learn. Says the Holy Talmud. Talmud is methodological. Talmud is logical. You can't even make a bracha on the Talmud for learning if you don't understand what you're saying. So if you make out of a whole Talmud, a holy... We're going to say the words now. We're going to absorb the energy. Do you understand it? No, it's okay. We just absorb it. You can't make a bracha. That would be like making a bracha on an apple and not eating it. Just looking at it. That's such a gorgeous apple. You only make a bracha if you eat it. You only make a bracha on the Torah if you eat it. If you learn it. If you understand it. So the Talmud is all about engage the intellect, understand, question, does it make sense? Isn't there a contradiction here? And yet I just told you that in every Hasidic yeshiva, we will uphold the tradition of, Zok to the says the holy Gemara. 
What's the difference if he's holy or not? Right now, I need him to be logical. I need him to make sense. But if you don't begin Dr. Heilige Gemara, then you're trying to fit the box into the circle. It won't work. Long before I put my finite brain of relativity to the task of absorbing the absolute, I'm going to first let my brain know. Says the holy Gemara. The definition of the word holy, kadosh, is muvdal. It's separated. It's separated from relativity. It's separated from tangibility as I know it. And that's why we need to say, Na'asevinishma. Because the liberty of the brain is emunah. It allows the human brain to do what the human brain is meant to do. To reach out of the box. To think beyond just my eating. Na'asevinishma. But on the other hand, the na'aseh without the nishma, the emunah without the understanding, is creating a self-righteous thief. What are you talking about? I dive into Hashem as I was stealing. So there needs to be this consummation, there needs to be this relationship between emunah and the intellect. Only that, the emunah is the foundation and the intellect is the building, not vice versa. My job is to understand my faith, not to have faith in what I understand. And many of us take the latter approach. I'm a scientific person. I've been educated in the sciences. I believe what I understand. And the challenge of the human is, whether you can understand, digest, internalize what you believe. That's liberty of the brain. So when we talk about emunah, liberty of the brain, we need to understand that the human brain is not an animal brain. If the human brain was just an animal brain, we wouldn't need emunah. You don't need emunah to understand how to mass produce food, how to create power, how to make money, how to make sure that you reproduce for generations to come. You don't need emunah for that. The animal doesn't need emunah. When the brain's going downwards, when it's going into the tangible, when it doesn't feel comfortable with the abstract, it's not looking up to liberate itself, to have a higher experience of reality then you don't need a munah. But if you want to have the brain go up, if you want to grab a mouthful of the infinite, of the circular, of the out of the box, of the absolute, then you need to first have a munah. Thus, the secret of saying that a munah is liberty of the brain is the secret of having to say na'asev and nishma before you can begin studying Torah. 
is being able to have that amazing tradition. And right after those words, battle away. Does it make sense what Abaya is saying? What's about Rava? They both learned by Rabba. But he said this. How could this be? It's a contradiction. How can they argue, right? In Masech the Megillah we're learning. How can they argue whether it's fair you was walled or not? If there's a verse. So no, Chizkiyo didn't think so. Rebbe did think so. But does that make sense? We have to understand it. But don't put your sticky fingerprints all over it and make it into another situation of the bear trying to figure out how it's going to get fish. This is upbound, not downbound. <coughs> this is the beauty of the human mind. To be able to connect you to that which is above and beyond you. You can only do that if before you try to understand the Gemara, you first declare, You got that brain? You got what we're talking about now? Now let's learn. Good night, guys.